Welcome back to the Green Element podcast, where we feature business leaders and innovators transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable. I'm your host, Will Richardson, and I can't wait to meet our guest today and help you on your journey of sustainability. Vicky, welcome to the Green Island Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I guess before we start, um, you run Earth Changers and probably you are best fit to describe what Earth Changers is. What a great sure. name. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Earth Changers is a curated collection of some of the world's best positive impact tourism. So we... Um, find help people find life-changing places um, which are normally run by world-changing people for extraordinary experiences with purpose so if you're looking for a holiday but you really want to be very sustainable um, you really want to have a positive impact they're the types of places we work with they might be accommodations or they might be uh, tour companies okay. and um, I have a limited number on my site at the moment we're developing that and so um, anyone is welcome to get in touch if they're looking for that sort of thing, even if it's not on the site, to say, right, I'd like to go to, for example, Chile. What have you got? Mm-hmm. So I've been um, working in sustainable tourism for 15 years now. So I'm quite well known, quite well connected around. So um, it's about bringing those types of operations to the fore. Okay. And is it all over the world that you work in? Yes. Um, so... What's interesting is I probably, so what we focus on is maximum positive impact. So largely operations which by their very purpose and nature and core um, feed into the sustainable development goals worldwide. So that might be, it could be education, it could be conservation, it could be marine conservation, any of those things. So inevitably where that occurs is often areas of less equality. So greater inequality. So often that might be Africa, Asia, Latin America. Um, There's probably less of that sort of thing in Europe other than, say, conservation. Um, But in actual fact, then there are operations in Europe around things like conservation. Yeah. Okay. And so if I was to, I'm just trying to nail down exactly what it is that you do. I would come onto your website or talk to you by some form of communication and I want to go on holiday. Yeah. I would, I'm wanting to have a holiday that um, is not a cost of, I don't know, a something that will um, impact, the, something that will lessen the impact on the environment. And you will help me down that route and exactly. choose the um, path that has less of an environmental impact yeah less of a negative impact but will have a positive impact so okay. it might be sometimes um trips are just literally from the from money that is generated by tourism the money goes into for example a foundation that, that then runs projects in destinations health education whatever um other trips are a little bit more involved in actually seeing sustainability in action other trips are even more involved where it's more citizen science. So it just very much depends on the, the, the exact supplier we work with and uh, the destination. Because I, I, I was a travel agent at Travel Bag years ago. Oh, really? And um, I'm trying to liken it to what we did there where people would phone up, they'd get the flights, and then we'd book all the itineraries. Yeah, through. so 
in actual fact, I'm not as a, as a model, I'm not a tour operator or a travel agent. I'm more like a marketing platform. So when people book, and the reason I do that is when people book, um, I want the bookings to be made directly so that the money goes into destinations directly and um, the destination jobs are empowered with that kind of creative, you know, making the itinerary work, etc. Um, I do get a, a commission as a result, but it's a, probably a lesser commission than if I was being an agent. Because what's happened with, with tourism industry and sector as a whole, um, the way it's been set up, certainly historically, is, um, you know, for example, if you're in the UK and you book with a UK tour operator, the vast majority of the money stays in this country. And the vast majority of the sort of potential impact, therefore, positive impact doesn't occur in destination. And I want to turn that around and say, you know, they're the people that know the places best. They're the ones who should be empowered with the jobs and the money. Yes, give me a referral fee um, for the marketing um, and for making people, you know, connecting people through, etc. And for the sort of... Um, what would I call it? The curation of these places, because I've got to check, obviously, that what fits and what doesn't. Um, and, and really where it's coming from, where, you know, where people would have come to you as a travel agent because they need help to, to know what to book. Same thing for me, but people are sort of saying, OK, I want a more sustainable holiday, but I really don't understand how, how what is and what isn't and mm -hmm. how that's determined and how that's chosen. So I help basically people uh, define and decipher that sort of thing what they're looking for and uh yeah fit that gap and how do you choose and what's your, how what's your criteria for choosing because do you visit every single pe person i've been i've been to certainly most of them so far I'm, i don't think that's necessarily going to be possible in advance in, in the future because there's a lot of places to add um but it, in actual fact it's not necessary i talk to them all definitely before um, and I, I interview them. I don't work on a um, tick box type criteria. Mm. Um, I don't work, so in, in tourism, um, if we're talking about sort of accreditation certification schemes for green um, operations, there are more than 150 different schemes worldwide. Um, that's because you get destination specific ones like Costa Rica or Kenya, you get travel type specific ones. So it might be, I don't know, um, glamping for example or something like that and so there's this huge proliferation of schemes but in actual fact there's only probably a handful or two that are really any relevance or that you know are really strong enough and, and hold their own um, but as you'll know with all accreditation schemes they're a paid-for service so you get very very good operations that don't have um, any certification and then you get operations that have certification that aren't necessarily that good and they've done it as a checkbox exercise so I don't make certification part of my criteria. Um, and literally what I look for um, on a very loose basis is the world-changing places, um, sorry, life-changing places, world-changing people, extraordinary experiences. And so I look at, I will talk to them and I will ask them for their impact reports. So it has to be evidence-based. I have to see that they are using tourism as a vehicle for sustainable development in some way, shape or form. The, the extent of that can be very different because, you know, I work with a, um, a safari place in Kenya where they have a community of 16,000 Maasai that they support through a foundation and they've done, they've built schools, they help them with health projects, they've built, you know, built a medical centre, they've bought an ambulance, all these kind of things. And then I work with a really tiny village um, in, in Nicaragua 
where they've put in a water system that supports 200 people. Mm. So it's not about the actual scale, you know, it's about the importance locally. Um, And to some extent, obviously then also the consumer experience is, you know, is it a nice place to stay? And um, are people going to have an amazing time as well as, you know, be able to positively impact the place they're going to. So um, that doesn't have to be five star. Some is five star. Uh, some is quite raw. So I work on also on a sort of on my backpack level, if you like, sort of volunteering in a couple of places, though not not many um, in terms of volunteer tourism, and because you've got to be quite careful over volunteer tourism. Um, but certainly, I work with a charity out in Madagascar who have conservation volunteers come out, and that's really quite raw in Madagascar bush. Mm. Mm. Okay. And with the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, yeah, do how um is it you that puts people into which impact they have within the sdg the um different goals or is well, it they will tend to talk about, yeah they will they will tend to have projects and they will tend to talk about it right now they would have had projects historically before the sdgs were sort of um clarified i suppose when it, you know when millennial developer goals they use it now more as a structure and as a format to talk about their work. But a lot of these places actually don't talk as publicly about their work, which is one of the reasons I set up Earth Changes. For them, it's often very behind the scenes and they, they're not sort of promoting on that basis. They're just doing it. That's why they exist. It's their re- you know, reason for being quite often, but it's not necessarily on their main tourism website. And the reason for that is historically it's alienated customers to start talking about water issues or mm. food food security issues or whatever it happens to be so um i felt there was a gap missing for people who are um geared to sustainability who want to know all that behind the scenes information um to actually provide that and so yeah so that's a lot i mean i write up really quite in depth on my site what they all do and and how it um you know how it fits into the sdgs um also on my site there's a purpose section which explains almost quite a you know it's a big blog for each stroke essay almost how each sustainable development goal fits with tourism and how tourism can actually be beneficial to all of them in different ways Mm. so people really understand but then with links out to some of the partners i work with and so you can very much go okay well that's the theory behind it but actually i can go see and experience it at that place Mm. and do you let's pick on the um little backpacking place in Madagascar. Did they know about the SDGs out of curiosity? Or yes. They did? Yes, but they weren't, find... using it, they weren't using it as a structure at that point in time, but they later have come to do that. So do you find it's quite well recognised, SDGs around the world? Yes. Because it's becoming more and more recognised in the UK. So I'm just, I'm just literally curious on how, you know, we can be our own little bubble. Um, I think it's more recognised, I think it's more recognised than in the UK. It's, it's yeah. recognised, yeah, I think it's recognised in, in lesser developed countries more because of NGO links. And oh, I think okay. NGOs have been a bit more attuned to it. That's yeah. really interesting. That's really good. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Um, yeah. So. So I'll, I'll give you a bit well, of my background, if you like. Why, why did yeah. I do this? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, where I was just about to start going on <laughs> to. I... Um, so I worked in travel previously, mass market tourism. So I, I studied French and international business and took a year out after uni 
um, to work in a ski resort for six months and then travel for six months. Um, not very much the done thing at the time, mid nineties to go work in a ski resort. My professors told me I was wasting my career and all this kind of stuff. Very much intended it to be only that year and then realized I loved working in travel, loved the people, loved, I mean, the reason I did it, I was a skier and I love mountains and I, I'm an outdoors person. I'm, an, I'm a wildlife and wilderness type person. So I did it for that reason. And so I ended up working in um, tourism and I carried on because actually I learned more than friends in sort of graduate recruitment programs. Um, as a resort manager for a tour operator, I was in charge of in effect a small business unit and off you go, you make it a profitable unit um, over the course of six months or whatever. Um, so I carried on and when I came back from living in mountains, so I'd worked summers and winters, um, and this thing called the internet had arrived at that point in time, in the late nineties. Um, my stepfather was very geared up for it at home where most people weren't because he was a network engineer and I was fascinated because literally not even pages had worked up mountains. Mm. So I was just like, what is this thing? Um, and then I, so I got a job with London's, uh, first conference company that were dealing with internet tech um, wow. and creating internet tech conferences. So I ended up working for them for a couple of years, um, developing conferences around the world in difficult, different vertical industries, including tourism. So how internet technology was coming into the travel industry. Um, and so became quite savvy about the use of internet tech. And then I was sort of poached back into travel to set up um, e-commerce systems and uh, web marketing and that sort of thing. So originally for Teletext, which at the time was the analog TV version. And it was my, I was in a small team of four people initially that we had to move that all to digital, um, which was brilliant. So I was in charge of ski initially and then overseas package holidays. And it was actually through that, that I went on a friend to a friend's wedding in Kenya um, and got a cheapy deal through work. And, um, stayed at this all-inclusive um, and was really presented with the first time, uh, had a real penny drop moment that this sort of mass industrial model of tourism that really was quite exploitative um, was banging in front of my face and, oh, this was what I was working and this is what I was helping and this is what I was creating, in effect. And literally, for, I mean, it was, I mean, remember the first thing even coming from the airport, the streets were littered with plastic and just realizing, oh, these people don't have any way, they don't have public services to get rid of this stuff. There's mm. no refuse collection. Got to the hotel, the hotel was very much telling people not to go outside the walls, not to talk to local people. Um, and I was there obviously for a wedding, but I was going on safari while I was there and I was excited about going to speak to local people and go to local bars and all that kind of stuff. And most people just didn't. And most people were stayed around the pool and they were there to eat as much as they could and drink as much as they could and tan as much as they could and literally did not know or even care where they were. And for me, that was really shocking. It was the first time I'd really come across it. And this was the world I worked in. And it was the difference between working in sort of mountain resorts and actually working in the mass package market, if you like. Mm. And um, I literally went round and asked everyone why they were there and where they booked all that kind of stuff. And, Turned out most of them are booked for who I was working for. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, it's all my fault. Mm. This isn't what, to me, this was not what travel was about. So that was 2001, 2002. Um, and I, at that point in time, I mean, it didn't even really have a name, but I, what became known as responsible tourism is ensuring, you know, local 
communities are um, the the priority for tourism basically and, and they're the decision makers and how it develops and how it works and so I got more interested in, in being involved working in that rather than the market I was in but at the, the big jobs in the sort of tech side of things e-commerce side of things and marketing side of things weren't in responsible tourism so mm. for many years I worked in more mass market stuff and juggled it um, with work um, sort of pro bono type work on the side um, and then I went to Africa I got fed up of, of commuting and job and all that kind of stuff and thought I just want to go back to Africa did that for six months spent um, six months volunteering in conservation out there and also community development and traveling around really trying to understand what tourism could help with and where it was and where it wasn't and you know southern Africa is amazing for that because there are loads of opportunities but it you know it is sort of the, the 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 tourism wealth side by side with incredible poverty and health issues and all that kind of stuff and i just thought this is just so wrong this is where tourism should help and isn't generally and what's the point of tourism if it's not going to do that you know surely it should be supporting the destinations it's going to because if it's not supporting the destinations it's going to it's having negative impact on the destinations and people it's going to well it's just destroying itself and tourism i think in my opinion is probably the, one of the most suicidal industries i mean if we look at what it's doing so i came back from that trip very much committed to only working in sustainable tourism going forward responsible tourism um and i juggled it again with paying the mortgage and doing things like that but i worked in volunteer tourism for a while um and i did a master's in responsible tourism management and then i worked in tours and activities for a while and then i worked freelance responsible tourism um but working in um volunteer tourism as well that's a great uh, eye-opener um, because that really grew after in particular Hurricane Katrina and the tsunami where people had um, ultimately they had an emotional attachment to destinations either because they've been there or they've had family who've been there and they wanted to help and so you had this huge sort of um, growth in the number of um, you know unskilled volunteers going to places to want to help out and out of that came various issues in volunteer tourism which um you think are going to be positive and then they turn out they're actually a negative impact ultimately so we now know you know there's a lot around um animal welfare and sort of being in human contact with animals but also things like orphanage volunteer tourism so in effect what volunteer tourism has created in orphanages is actually a demand for orphans and child trafficking and that's happened in places like nepal and cambodia Sorry, and so yeah volunteer tourism the demand for wanting to help suddenly created in effect a demand for orphanage volunteering and therefore a demand for orphans and so what in effect unscrupulous um you know people in destinations did was in order to get more orphans into dilapidated buildings as they might go out to outlying villages and they promise parents a better life for their kids and they literally hand them over and they sign them over for money sometimes. And so you end up with um, dilapidated buildings, ki kids there who've already been separated from their parents. They're more often than not, not orphans. Um, and you know, they're literally a sort of tourism entertainment. Um, but the kids end up with very severe sort of psychosocial issues. Um, and you know they're just abandoned and, and might end up on the streets later because they might never be reunited with families and all this kind of thing so you know tourism is a pretty um grotty demand for things like that at times and people don't realize you know customers consumers don't realize that 
their very good intentions can be creating really, really negative impacts yeah. and people really take advantage. And tourism as an industry globally has been very, very exploitative of people in destinations, uh, the resources in destinations, the places, and it's an extractive industry. So um, all it does is go to those places and take out. Yeah. And what we've got to do in responsible and sustainable tourism and sustainable development goals, tourism through, you know, that, that supports those is about creating that positive contribution to those places we go to. I remember learning, I did tourism degree. Yeah. And I remember learning, it was in the late nineties, that life cycle of mm. um, the backpacker that goes in and explores and, no one's ever been there before and then more and more people start to going then yeah. hotels start to build and then more and more hotels start to build yeah then um mass holidays and loads and loads of people and then people stop going there because they don't like it anymore and you just yeah. end up with this and, what, and what what's happened now is when when the british clientele that's done that then stops going it goes to the chinese and the russian markets these days right and, and they sort of develop even more they hit they sit on their own cycle and they develop it even more um and then eventually yeah places just become you know a, a shadow of the former self and, and we're seeing this with over tourism now um and it's you know over tourism's really the it was really the first responsible tourism issue if you like that hit the mainstream travel issues as well um because before that responsible tourism was kind of seen as a bit of a niche thing and it obviously isn't it's it's about how destinations are impacted um because it's not a travel type, it is a responsible tourism as a decision-making process, how you run your organization and making that on a triple line basis rather than a, just a for-profit basis. Mm -hmm. And the for-profit decision-making has, has resulted in over-tourism. Places like Venice, Barcelona, Reykjavik, Iceland, um, you know, they all suffer from having um, no-frills flights plus cruise ports plus, um, you know, the various brands of homestay networks. And it's unregulated. And so what's happened, particularly say with the homestay networks, is people realise they can rent out properties and they end up moving out themselves in order to rent out the city centre ones because they can get a decent income. Um, and then obviously at other times investors come in and buy properties purely for that basis. So you end up with centres, you know, let's say Venice, beautiful cultural historic centres, but no local people living there. And what that does is take the whole culture and soul out of a place, really. Mm. Um, and you've just got streets that are absolutely rammed and a, an unpleasant experience. Um, you know, safety issues, there's been with Venice and with cruise ships and stuff, um, because there have been too many boats. There are obviously massive environmental impacts, both in terms of the lagoon, but also the air pollution, things like that. So, you know, it's, it's a big problem that people are starting to wise up that, what responsible tourism really means and what irresponsible tourism it's it's you know it's created actually it's largely created many many times by destination governments who have targets on the number of tourists they want in their country and rather it be about quality of experience or even profitability it's about they want x number of tourists this year so they just drive for volume and we've got a you know responsible tourism is about quality rather than quantity it's about value rather than volume mm. and we fly to these destinations mm. and one of i remember 
quite early on, do you remember the Prime Minister of Mauritius having a round table underwater? Mm, with, yes. It was quite a long time ago now. And he, and I guess it was quite, it was very poignant for him to be doing it because Mauritius is a, is, is a destination that a lot of people go mm. to. Yeah, beautiful. And I would hazard a guess that their GDP is largely tourism. Yeah, exactly. Now, sea levels are rising because yeah. of climate change. Climate mm. change is happening because of CO2 being pumped into the atmosphere. And the aviation industry is probably one of the biggest impacts um, in that mm. cycle. So where do you see that with um, tourism? And because I, 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 I don't know the answer to this, I'm starting to come to conclusions and I'm listening to the travel industry and I think mm. that there is a morph that's going on and I think we can, I'm just curious to know your thoughts. So the first thing would be to look at the real top line, like you say, impacts of what causes the emissions, right? Land is the big one, energy use, da da da. Tourism, the latest research, and to be fair, a lot of this is still quite new, so they didn't even have the stats. Tourism used to be thought to be 5% of global emissions. Now they've understood it to be 8% of global emissions. That's tourism as a whole. So that's all transport, all accommodation, all tours and activities, etc. Aviation within that, as, as leisure, leisure flying, um, or rather flying, is about as a, as a total percentage of current global emissions is about two and a half three percent so often that's a lot less than people think it's going to be people i think at the moment think it's going to be 50 percent, and it's not but the danger we've got with aviation is the demand for aviation is growing is outpacing world economies is outpacing other industries so we are, if it carries on its trajectory and at the moment it's increasing in its rate of demand growth we're looking at aviation potentially representing something like um uh 20 you know potentially 25 percent of global emissions by 2050 if they got that far so you know what we do is have to look at measures which are you know we've uk has just called a, a um, 2050 net zero target both for as a whole but also aviation and that's looking at how you can change the fuel so it isn't the jet fuel how you can use um, other technology to be more efficient to not consume so much jet fuel it's looking at you know electric options and things like that they're in development but they're quite a long way away but other measures obviously are looking at sort of fiscal measures to try and reduce some of that demand um the interesting thing is that consumers are now waking up and you know there's been the flight free 2020 movement um i think the most important thing to remember is that as you said so tourism represents 10 percent of jobs and 10 percent of gdp worldwide mm. somewhere like i don't know islands that are heavy on uh, tourism dependency Maldives is a, another good example. They will have 40, 50, 60, up to even, I think, maximum 70, 80% of their income is tourism. So if you stop flying to some of these destinations, you literally cut off the lifeline of those communities and 
particularly conservation in those areas. And it's really, I mean, the hard thing for me, and you know, is to see um, places like Madagascar who are absolutely battered by the um, consequences of climate change, but they've done none of that consumption to cause that problem. The consumption is all by sort of the Western um, world who who are carrying on behaving as they want to behave. So the answer for me is that we have to reduce our unnecessary flying. I think we it's really only in the last decade or two people have really taken flying for granted. Um, even the last 10 years, it's just grown exponentially. So um, where was I? Um, so yeah, we have to we have to look at cutting what's unnecessary flying. We don't need to fly to Geneva and back in a day for a business meeting if we can do it on digital tech these days. We don't need to go multiple times for long weekends to various European cities just mm. because it's cheap. You know, what we can do is ensure that the places we do go, we are choosing more sustainable options and preferably positive impact options that support communities and conservation. So it's about a balance. Um, you don't want to, I mean, I've, I've got a concern that those people who do choose the um, no flights 2020 is that that just means they end up going four, five times, six times next year, which is unnecessary. In actual fact, many people who work in sustainable tourism, we've probably been the most conflicted of all um, because it's our livelihoods too. And we know, we know the impacts it's having but we also know the positive impacts it's having. So it's very much making sure that you, you do the things that are the positive things and you don't do the things that are the negative things. So I fly, I fly minimally for work, to be honest, these days. And if I fly somewhere, I really want to spend significant time in that destination as long as you possibly can on a holiday. Um, and, you know, there are, I've got a blog on my website that people can look up. I mean, I do, we didn't talk about that, but I do a lot of blogs to sort of help people understand sustainable tourism or with a lot of these stats um a lot of actions that you can take to be more responsible reduce your carbon and different you know the efficiency of airlines differs the time you fly actually has an impact on your emissions um the weight of the luggage you carry all these sorts of things so you know people can wise up but ultimately a lot of those things are only incremental and what we what we really need to do is it's not about massively say trying to reduce that two and a half three percent of global aviation emissions now there's bigger bigger problems and fish to fry right now but actually it's preventing the growth and it becoming 25 percent yeah yeah that makes sense that makes absolute sense i realized um when i said it was the maldives as soon as you said the maldives I went, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but Mar mauritius too yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but you know all of these small island states they're really suffering yeah. And, um, you know, we've seen sort of world's first climate refugees and things like that. Mm. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it's tough to working with destinations. It's tough to see that occurring. We're seeing it close to home. There's a, a village in Wales that they've been given a certain amount of time. I think it's 2030 or 2050 that they've got to leave their houses. Oh, wow. So the council have already said, you're not allowed to live here. Of oh, wow. this date because you will be underwater you need to start thinking about where you're going to move to so mm. they've suddenly lost all the value in their house Gosh. Um, so we're seeing it in the uk and we're i read a report last night that um we're going to be one of the hardest 
hit, I think, from a flooding point of view, us in Japan, um, because of Norfolk, Suffolk, and yeah, areas around that. the coast just yeah. being brought in. I think probably because we're quite highly populated as well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I was going to say, um, what was I going to say? There was a, a very well-known, amazing lodge in Mozambique um, called Guludi Beach, who I would have loved to have got on my website, but unfortunately they had, um, you know, extreme weather last year, storms, tornadoes, etc., and the whole lodge was utterly destroyed and the villages exported. Right. And they've, they've not been, as a result, able to rebuild or anything. Um, they're actually setting up a different organization to look at these sort of climate impacts and things and tourism and to, um, you know, potentially fund um, startups that, that, that are creating solutions, um, yeah. trying to help create solutions. So, you know, there's a lot of work going on, but probably not enough or not enough funding in it for sure. Mm. Um, and I've actually just recently joined um, uh, with basically because those of us who are concerned about these things and about managing it properly, you can't manage something properly unless you're open and honest about it and you start talking about the real facts and figures. Mm. And that hasn't been done really until the last year or two. I mean, I started talking about it three years ago on my website for, for, for a travel website to talk about climate change, which is like, Vicky, are you mad? It's like, no, but this is the reality. This is what we've got to address. Mm. Um, so there has been created a movement um, of travel companies, um, travel organizations and individuals who um, frustrated by the lack of uh, government uh, sort of involvement or any um, you know, positive moves in that way have come together to cause uh, create a movement called tourism declares mm. um, climate emergency and that we all um, sign up to a declaration to say yes we care about this yes we're going to be open and honest about this yes we're going to work together and we're all looking at how can we measure monitor reduce our carbon and it's up to us each of us individually to determine um, what our you know promises will be and what we want to do within our own businesses to to honor those things mm. but you know definitely worth um, looking at that because they're the forward-thinking companies yeah, there's about 50 at the moment have joined something like that but it started off with about five or six of them didn't it yes I was I was on the on the first original day um, ah. I think maybe we even had 10 at that point but yeah um, people yeah we'll all joining in common, then. we'll know yeah. people in common <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> the world is so small um so how do we vicky thank you so much and welcome back to the green element podcast um a lot's happened since we spoke We're back in february, february 14th, i think it was, I it was valentine's day so yeah so yeah a lot has happened since then and we decided to put the podcast on hold for obvious reasons um wow um what are your thoughts on what's happened gosh what what a six months it's been um first i'd say it's been a very busy time in the travel industry and a lot of people who outside of travel work don't necessarily appreciate how much work's probably had to go on but initially everyone was dealing with um cancellations postponement rebookings and that's just been going on on a rolling basis all year obviously when you realize actually people can't go next month next month next month not so much for me but certainly for big companies it's been a huge thing um secondly there's been a load of new protocols written um by the world travel and tourism council so whether you're a 
a tour operator or an airport or a hotel. There's created protocols which can be, um, you know, followed to help for spatial distancing, hand washing, all the various uh, operational issues and how those translate to any tourism business, um, you know, standard operating procedures. So staff have had to learn all those. Um, and obviously now we're starting to see um, tourism businesses open up. Um, but it is with obviously with all those new rules, spatial distancing, we've got sort of reduced capacity. Um, so it's been a really challenging time and um, tourism certainly been kept on its toes. What we're sort of seeing, I've written a big blog on that, um, is, you know, so much is dependent on on which destination you're coming from and where you're trying to go to as to whether you can do that or not yet. And so much also uh, is dependent on whether you're covered on insurance, if you've got bookings, etc. So um, it's quite complex what's going on, actually. Um, and that's unsurprisingly had a huge impact, obviously, on, on sales um, and on income into destinations, on jobs. So, you know, as an industry, um, this year is looking, originally the forecast was 60 to 80% down. I think it's more likely to be 80 plus. Um, next year, they're looking at probably it's still going to be maybe a 50% reduction on, on previous years. And we're not looking at a sort of recovery until um, 2022. So, how I mean, looking at the way that you travelled, um, or the people that you took abroad before, and the way that um, we were talking about with people going to specific areas and say Kenya and working with local communities, do you think that's going to change somewhat, or do you think we're going to see more of an input on? more of a capacity increase on that and people changing the way that they decide to go on holiday? Um, well, I think what we're seeing, obviously, short term is, uh, you know, so much is down to national regulations right now. So we've all internationally seen a massive rise in local, regional, domestic um, bookings, if possible, right, once those places opened up. So, you know, based in the UK here, um we saw sites that, you know, camping, for example, has, has had an exponential growth this summer because that's literally what most people could do. Summer was booked out largely because, you know, uh, easements didn't come into play until I think, what was it, early July. So the, the summer that wasn't already booked got booked up pretty quickly. So there's an awful lot of people have put on hold travel plans because they weren't able to book anything and they, book, they thought they'll wait till next summer. Um, when the easements um, for this country started for Europe, you know, inevitably there's a level of pent up demand and inevitably that goes to the sort of high popular destination demand places like France, Spain, Italy, Greece, um, Portugal. But we've since seen quarantines coming in, um, even when people are, you know, once they're abroad and then quarantines are brought in and they, they learn they have to do a quarantine when they return. So that has really caused a problem with um, consumer confidence. So between what's bookable and what's not bookable and between consumers being really hit with consumer confidence now issues, um, I think there's a lot of people waiting on, on next year to see what they can do. Um, but inevitably, the rise in demand um, for, for future um, short, short to medium term is more local, regional, continental, uh, where possible. And 
in terms of sort of international tourism, it's really very much dependent on um, national regulations and what happens with regards to a vaccine ultimately. Um, so it's interesting because somewhere like the US, you know, you can you can drive for a very long time in the US before you hit a national border. So there's probably more movement going on there than there is, say, in continental Europe. And looking at the actual stats of what's been hit in terms of the reduction, um, if you break the overall numbers down into sort of continents, um, it's it's actually Asia which has been hit greatest, um, followed by Europe. And the two the two biggest areas are sort of Northeast Asia and Mediterranean Europe. And, you know, for us um, in responsible tourism, that, that has quite an impact. Um, so, for example, even if we were hit equally in terms of decline, the impact of that decline is greater in some places than others. So in Western Europe, you know, we are generally developed nations. In Northeast Asia, um, it's caused, I mean, enormous problems there. We we think, oh, well, we can't have our holiday, you know, which is obviously a huge shame. But um, the real problems in, in, in Asia, for example, are literally about tourism supporting whole communities um, and jobs and people not being able to feed their families now. You know, it's very, very stark. So, um, you know, I was on a, a digital conference um, with a load you know, in Asia based in Bangkok and you had the government ministers sort of speaking about what they're planning to do um, in two, three years time. But you've got people on the Zoom chat going, yeah, but what about now? We're desperate now. And you could feel the desperation. So it's a real issue. I mean, here in, in Western Europe, we're very lucky that we have governments who offer levels of financial support if you're lucky enough to be able to get it. Um, and lots of tourism isn't because lots of tourism is SMEs. And, um, you know, a lot of support hasn't covered that. But I mean, in Asian countries, they haven't got anything like that. So I think, that you know, this whole pandemic has actually, I think, highlighted to the whole tourism sector, the importance of responsible tourism um, and sustainable tourism. Um, and the whole pandemic, create, um, it, it, it basically brings us back to ask questions about resilience and about recovery. And those things are about sustainability. So, you know, sustainable tourism now, there's there's probably an elevated interest in it, both from sector point of view, but also consumers. Um, consumers realise, I think I think maybe they are, they've valued their holidays more because they've not been able to have one. They valued the importance of travel to destinations. Um, so they realise that people haven't got jobs and that they want to go back and support communities. Um, and, you know, the more we see in the news, which really has only just begun, it's going to continue a lot, is of whatever travel company is going bust, um, it, it makes people realise just how much people are dependent on tourism for their livelihoods around the world. And it and it's huge. So, yeah. Yeah. Did that answer the question? I, I would have thought it would have just be... No, no, it did. I think we're just exploring um, the effects it has had and what, where we will go back. And you've highlighted some important points, which I hadn't taken into consideration in that it's easier to travel to, say, France from the UK because of travel restrictions and quarantine measures that are in, coming in and out and potentially the um, flight cost for change as well and flight cost full stop. Um, I guess I'm interested to know that um, we know that communities are very 
much dependent on tourism. And you've mentioned Asia. I mean, African countries and Caribbean and other areas must be also dependent yeah. like that yeah, on um, tourism industry because we've seen the welcome stamp in Barbados and um, other countries as well actually have done a similar kind of nomadic stamp, as it were, for um, for different types of tourists to come in because they know the normal tourist isn't coming in. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as a share of exports, um, I was looking at this earlier, the, the greatest that have been hit in terms of their decline in, in export numbers is Turks and Caicos, Macau, Palau, St. Lucia, Cook Islands, Maldives. You know, these are places which might have, I don't know, up to 80% sort of dependence on export to their tourism. Um, and as a share of GDP, very similar destinations, but also in there is Jordan and Spain and Mo- Croatia and Montenegro. So it's the, you know, tourism is very important to those places and responsible tourism and sustainability is obviously key, and that's what I talk about. But it's also very important those places learn from this and aren't over-dependent on tourism because, you know, that is where it causes real problems. We've never imagined something like this will happen. You know, what I didn't say at the start and should have done is 100% of travel destinations, according to the UN World Tourism Organization, had restrictions, and that was in April. That has never before happened in the history of ever, you know. There's been issues before where we've had SARS or Ebola or, you know, 9-11, financial crisis. And those issues have impacted particular regions more. But never all at once have we had the whole globe affected by one issue and it's caused the shutdown of everything. And it's very interesting because obviously tourism, or or rather travel, um, a little bit like its relationship with climate change, is both a contributor and impacted by it. So, you know, COVID wouldn't have spread so much had it not been for people travelling, you know, and it's the the, the popular travel routes that it spread through. Um, And so, you know, there's a responsibility within that, and therefore we have to shut down. But there's also a responsibility to try and help those destinations, which have now been absolutely annihilated by having the the shutoff of tourism, basically. Um, And what we've seen during the pandemic is that responsible organisations in tourism, they're the ones who step up. So regardless of not having a business running, regardless of not having income, they are still out there helping their communities and supporting conservation. So they might not be getting tourist income, but they will be you know, spending out of their own coffers to keep rangers in jobs, to keep anti-poaching units going. Um, They'll be out there with soup kitchens trying to feed thousands of people in their community who not only might have suffered before, but are suffering double ill now because they might not have the income that they previously had. So, you know, I've been writing a blog on what some of my partners have done over the coronavirus time. Um, And the level of enterprise and initiative and charity that's shown is incredible to help communities and conservation you know brilliant so i think it's a real um you know it's a really challenging time but it's also a real um filter you can really see it you know it really separates the men from the boys in, in who's a responsible organization and who's not and what they're doing brilliant well i that's yeah i think that only time will also tell us on what what carries on won't it and 
And thank you so much for coming back and um, helping us understand where we see um, it going. And during these tricky times, I think that it's, it is really hard for so many industries. And I, we have to be aware that there are so many. And as you've point, quite rightly pointed out, there are lots of communities out there that have been so badly hit. Um, and it is a, if any of our listeners, you know, how can we help? What can we do? Um, have a think about it, talk to, um, people and think responsibly, I guess, is what the message we should be, um, giving out. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you watched the David Attenborough, um, documentary on extinction, which, um, aired last Sunday from when we're recording, um, his final point, which was thankfully a positive one because it was quite a harsh programme, although that's all absolutely the facts, was that what has seen a, a resurgence in, in species with, with the mountain gorilla he was talking about is proper sustainable ecotourism. So, you know, travel and tourism can support the world and contribute, but it has to be done sustainably. And, you know, that's my bag. Um, so how do we find out more about you and, um, yeah, learn more about you? Oh, so, oh, I've got my whole big long life story on my website, if anyone wants to read and how I came in. Oh, because we even missed all sorts of things. I mean, I've ended up working in Africa as a ranger, um, various things as well. So exciting life. Um, website is www.earth-changers.com. And the name, as you kindly um, commented, is about not just the people and destinations that create these places and, and, the, and the sort of pro projects they work on with their destinations, but actually consumers by taking these holidays are becoming the earth changers themselves too, because they're contributing through their tourism to actually positive impacts abroad. Um, social media, Facebook is um, earthchangers.travel. Uh, Twitter is earth underscore changers underscore and instagram. We'll have all of these all of these on the website yeah. instagram on as well earth changes so yes yeah. and i you know talk on a pretty much daily basis about you know different aspects of positive impact tourism where you can go you know some is yeah might be talking about conservation one day might be talking about water issues might be talking about food security or waste um so i do a lot of general awareness raising and educating if you like about what sustainable tourism is and how to make it better yeah. brilliant and blog so yeah brilliant thank you vicky thank you very much for coming back on and um yeah thank you very much for all your input thank you